0: I guess it means it's me. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. How many of you are watching the whistle thing? And then how many of you are watching this little boy on this thing? (laughs) And all you mothers are praying, please don't let him fall. We're going to put this up right there. I don't even know what that thing is for. Is it for kids when they stand up on this? It needs to be gone. Who's ever in charge of stools? No, I'm just scaring me to death. Ephesians 2 in verse 1. Before we go to that, let me make a quick announcement about some upcoming events. One is March 10th, we have the distinct privilege of inviting uh, a gentleman by the name of Uh, Mark Johnson Or Mark Jackson actually He is a local potter Who's going to come and help me launch a series of lessons That I'm calling Shaped for Greatness Um, If you have some friends Or some neighbors That you know Maybe struggle with understanding they matter And that Possibly, quite possibly They doubt seriously God has any dreams for them In this world that matters This would be a great series to invite some people to. It begins on March 10th. It's going to run for four weeks right up to Easter morning. I promise you, you are not going to want to miss any of those messages. I'll do my best to preach at my best if you'll do your best to invite some folks and believe that God can help change their lives maybe forever. I've invited you over the last couple of times that I've written some bulletin articles to to join me over this time of Lent. We're not really observing Lent here, but during this time that a lot of the religious world does, where they refrain some some things, we're, we're inviting you to join us in prayer. That God could bring to this place in those four weeks some people whose lives could be forever changed. And so I'd like to invite you to be a part of that. Now our text and then let's pray. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us also lived among them. At one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy... Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you so very much for showing us that love in very specific ways. But more than any other. Than at the cross. Thank you for... Coming to us when there was no way we could reach to you. Thank you, Father, for pulling us in, for drawing us in, for loving us in to a relationship with you. We join our hearts in prayers this morning, specifically with other disciples in this community that we know are doing the same. Particularly this morning, we lift up the Riverside Church of Christ. Father, that's our families, our brothers and sisters. And like Paul and Barnabas, who went their separate ways because of a rift. We had a riff and father, they went to uh, across town, not under the best of circumstances, but like Paul and Barnabas left one another. We're praying father, your kingdom is blessed because of it. Please, father, where there have been wounds at hearts because of those events, continue to heal them completely. But father, we join them in sharing the Lord's supper together, hearing your word preached together, anticipating the return of your son together. Thank you. For the promises that you have made us that make this life truly life. In Jesus' precious name and everyone said, amen. It was bedtime. And after being down for about five minutes, a little five-year-old boy said, Dad, would you bring me a glass of water? No, son, you should have taken care of that before you went to bed. Now go to sleep. Well, a few minutes went by and the little boy dad said, Dad, please. I really would like a glass of water and I'm so thirsty. Dad said, son, I said no. And if you ask me again, I'm going to have to give you a spanking. We got really quiet, at least for a little bit. And then the boy said, dad, when you come in here to spank me, will you bring me a glass of water? (laughs) There are some things that we want bad enough that we will endure a little bit of pain to get them. I start with a story that makes you smile because for about the next 11 and a half minutes to my best timing, I want to talk to you about a few crises that face us. It will not make you smile. Come the first of March, we face another financial cliff for our country. I am reasonably happy for the future that I think awaits us in this country um, on just a human level. And I I hope for my kids and grandkids that they get to experience much of the life that we've experienced over the last 50 years. We've had our difficult moments in this country, but we've had a lot more great moments than we've had difficult. But I'm concerned about our country. In the sportsman household, we don't live very well when we outspend what we take in. And we have a country who's addicted to spending and the Bible asked us to pray for wisdom. And I'm going to ask you to pray specifically over the next couple of days and weeks for our Congress to please begin to think logically about how we spend money as a country. Not politically, but logically. And hopefully help us in this generation begin to take necessary steps to get out of this stupidity that our country is in and spending more money than we take in. Now that's a crisis that we face and it's real. Jeff Peterson, this last week, he's a director of partners in ministry, told me a a startling statistic. Actually, he told a lot of us who were gathered together at lunch over at Tucker Hall. Last year, 40% of our kids enrolled in Kerrville Independent School District lived under the poverty level. Now, it looks like this next year in enrollment, 61% of the kids attending KISD are going to be living under the poverty level. More repercussions Of what's going on in this country politically. And I think we're at a crisis stage, not just up in Washington, but here also in our community. And Jeff was calling us to get involved. And on both accounts, both nationally and here locally, if we don't get involved ourselves personally and endure some pain and endure some inconvenience, then there may be some tragic consequences. Those are just two, minimally, of ten crises that I could mention that we face generally as a people. From water resources, to the sanctity of the marriage covenant, to personal debt, to personal health issues, and on and on it goes. But as perilous as those are, none of them compare to the size and the scope of the crisis that hit the European coast in October of 1347. 1347. When a Genoese fleet returning from the Black Sea brought home cargo that was no treasure. By the time the ships landed in Messina, Italy, most of the ship's sailors were dead. The few who made it back alive soon wished they hadn't. Fever racked their bodies, festering boils covered their skin. When channel authorities realized what had come ashore, they ordered the vessels to leave the harbor immediately. But by then it was too late. Flea-infested rats had already made their exit down the security ropes into the village and the disease commonly known as the bubonic plague began its rampage across the continent of Europe. The disease was fairly easy to track. It followed trade routes northward through Italy and then France and then after into the northern nations of the Europe continent. By spring, it had made its way into England and within a short but merciless five years, 25 million people died. One-third of Europe's population was gone. And that was just the beginning. Three centuries later, 300 years later, this plague still raged. And historians note that as late as 1665, an epidemic of it left 100,000 Londoners dead. Taking 7,000 lives a week until a bitter and yet timely cold winter finally killed the fleas. What in the world was so devastating about this was that there was no cure. No hope was offered to anybody. Those who were healthy were forced to quarantine those who were infected. And those who were infected simply counted their days. When you make a list of history's most deadly scourges that we've experienced, hands down, the Black Plague ranks near the top of the polls. But hear me clearly. Not the highest. Whatever adjective you want to use to describe the black plague. Catastrophic. Disastrous. Insidious. They all fit. But not humanity's deadliest. Not even close. The Bible clues us into the darkest of all epidemics. It makes the black plague in comparison look like a cold sore. It is so widespread that no culture avoids it, no nation escapes it, no island dodges it, regardless of how isolated. The truth is, sin is everywhere. Everywhere. And the Bible reveals the first man and the first woman were its clear source. When Adam and Eve chose to take the advice of the serpent over God's death, tight roped its way into this world. The plague was an accident. Sin, however, is willful. Willful. It is by choice. It is disobedience and rebellion in its purest form. And always a direct result of attitudes and actions that we purposely have left God out of. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, the Bible says, Like sheep, all of us have walked away with our stiff necks and our arrogant pride. Like a classroom full of middle schoolers. We have ignored the substitute teacher and we have not taken God seriously. Amen. Like middle schoolers in a classroom with a substitute teacher. We have not taken him seriously. We have said loud and clear. It is my life. Okay. I can live it any way I choose to. If I want to fill my body with steroids, that's my business. If I want to drive while intoxicated, that's my business. If I want to bend the truth to make a buck, that's my business. If I want to suppress the truth to win a case or an election, so be it. So what if God says, I love, I choose to hate? So what if God says, you need to forgive? I choose to get even. So what if God says, look, a little self-control is called for here? No. How about some self-indulgence? That's what I choose. Friend, if that describes you, anytime, anywhere, please be warned. Because what's so insidious about sin is that for the moment, sin quenches the thirst. But just like salt water and given time, the thirst comes back even stronger. Listen to the word of God in Ephesians 4.19. Paul tracks this progression. Having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Sin's a tough taskmaster. Well, begins as some kind of a simple choice, we think, soon evolves into a complex obsession. Those of us in here who've lived long at all realize how powerfully true that is. And it's a self-obsession. It's a direct slap in the face of God. It says, I don't need your advice, and I don't need you. And the Bible records what happens when a group of folks thinks that way. In Romans 1 and verse 21. There were those who knew God but wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And when they began to think up foolish ways of what God was like, the result was that their minds became dark and confused. And so God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things that their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other and their bodies. We've seen that. We've witnessed the chaos. We've witnessed the dictators murdering millions. We've witnessed grown men seducing young boys. We've witnessed young people selling their bodies for a fix of meth. When you do what you want, and I do what I want, irregardless of what God wants, our world implodes. And we've witnessed it. I know that's tough to hear. Only about three and a half more minutes of bad news, okay? But when you attract God, you can count on chaos and corruption. And eventually, the Bible promises eternal destruction. Jesus has made it clear. In His eternal kingdom, sin is not going to cross His shores. Hear me clearly. In His eternal kingdom, sin will not cross His shores. Those who are infected, infected will never Ever walk its streets. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 says, Unjust people who don't care about God will not be participating in His eternal kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other and use and abuse sex and use and abuse this earth will not inherit the kingdom, he says. We may choose to compromise our purity, but God makes it clear He will not. And the deadliest collateral damage caused by sin's infection in our lives is this If I choose, to lead a godless life, you can expect a godless eternity. I'd run too, girl. <laughs> if you choose to spend your life telling God, leave me alone. The Bible makes it very, very clear. His justice will respect your choice right into eternity and you will get your wish. He will leave you alone. But let me tell you a little bit about what that's going to look like. It's going to look like a sentence to a place of darkness where there is no light because he is the light. It's going to look like a sentence to a fiery furnace where there is nothing but pain and ugliness because he is joy and goodness. And without him, that's all that there is. It's going to look like suffering from an unquenchable thirst that can never be satiated ever The destiny of anybody who chooses to not follow God is horrific, the Bible says. But the good news, the good news is every chilling thing the Bible says about what will happen if I do not choose to make him my king in this world is that it can be avoided. I don't know if we're going to be able to avoid the coming financial earthquake for this country. We've been watching Europe for the last two years. Seeing them fall like dominoes left and right. I don't know. We're doing the same thing that they did. I don't know what kind of consequences are going to come out. Of 61% of children. Involved in a school system. What that's going to look like. And the choice is to just sit by. And just go. We'll figure it out. Someday we'll figure it out. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if it's avoidable. But I do know this. Hell's avoidable. It's avoidable. And that's the good news. Because in God's heart, he says, I don't want anyone to suffer the torments of a life without me. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter says, God's heart is that nobody should perish, but that everyone come to repentance. Everybody. Now you may say, how in the world is that possible? How, how do you avoid, how do you escape this incredible infection that's the deadliest of all infections? Well, maybe you're asking the same question a Philippian jailer asked. In Acts chapter six, verse thirty, what must I do to be saved? How do I get out of this? All right, I get the dilemma is tough. I, I I I've experienced the consequences. How do I get out? Well, here's what Peter also says in that context: Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You and your household. That's how. Now, I think it's a fair question to ask: Why Jesus? Why not Moses? Why not Muhammad? Why not Joseph Smith? Why not Buddha? Why is it that Jesus is so unique to be able to deliver us the sin sick and those others aren't? Paul says it this simply. The sinless one became sin so that the sin infected could be counted sin free. Biblically, this is exactly what he says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what makes Jesus capable of doing that? Very simply, at the cross, two things happened. Number one, he contracted sin's disease willfully. A disease he had never contracted on his own, he chose willfully. And number two, when it killed him. A couple of days later, God validated his right to be our Savior when he raised him from the dead. That's how. Joseph Smith didn't qualify there. Neither does Buddha. Neither does Mohammed. No one qualifies for that. No one was willing to take upon your sin debt so that you could have his life. No one has been resurrected who made those claims and the promises. There is one name by which we can be saved, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why he's the who. So forget economic crisis. All right. Regardless of the earthquakes that may come, forget weather crises, the tsunamis, the tornadoes, the hurricanes. Forget health crises, the cancers, the heart disease. The greatest calamity of all of life is the destruction that comes from sin. And Jesus warns in chapter 8 and verse 24 of the Gospel of John, I told you, you will die in your sins if you do not believe in me. I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed, if you don't believe that, will die in your sins We may not like the news, but heaven declares this truth. There is no more tragedy, tragic, than sin in the life of a human being that doesn't get answered. Heaven couldn't give a greater gift to counter that. It's a patch of scripture I didn't even put up on the wall because you know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, whoever would believe in Him. Would have eternal life. That's how he countered. The problem of sin in this world. Peter amens that when he says. Christ who never sinned. Died for sinners that he might bring them safely. Home. Home. Go back with me if you will. To the days of the black plague. Can you imagine if someone. Back in 1347. Could do what Jesus offers to do for us. With sin. Can you imagine someone. Who was born with bubonic resistance. He can't be infected with the virus unless it's invited in intentionally. He can't be tainted with it unless he wills it into his system. Now, can you imagine someone? I know this is hard to imagine, but someone who chose to do so because when he looked around and he realized the only way for those filled with the disease to be healed was that he had to become filled with the disease. And can you imagine him lovingly, willingly extending a hand saying, touch my hand, let me take your sin, I'll give you my health. And can you imagine someone not doing it? Seeing the cure, seeing the help, seeing the remedy, someone saying, I think I'll pass. And when those put his sin in their hands... And they see what that cost him, the results of infectious disease, like sin in a, in a human body, even when someone had existed with God from the very beginning of time, to see what it cost him, the humiliation and the rejection and the death on a cross, and to realize that had to take place so that I could have his health? You think that would impact somebody? You think it would impact some people? You're not going to find it in a history book. You're not going to find it in a source on Wikipedia somewhere. But you will find it in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. The Bible says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. From the world... May not hear it, but the word from heaven is this: Heaven's Prince responded to the universal problem of sin with a universal sacrifice, taking the sins of the entire world on Himself. Jesus did that for you. That's good news. But the greatest news, again, the greatest news. I, I love the fact that I can I can welcome Him into my heart and welcome Him into my life, and I can touch Him and and be. Healed of the sin and the infection of it in my life. But what I love most is the sin resistance He gives me when He moves in. That's the, that's the thrilling news of the new covenant. That's what the book of Acts is all about that some of y'all have been studying here recently. It's that, yes, we get cleaned up and we get freed up. But we get enabled to live a life we never could have dreamed possible. Never. Galatians 2 and verse 20. It's from one of those people who was who a living testimony of that fact. It's the Apostle Paul. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, he says. Christ. He goes on to write in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, As surely as Jesus gives you new and living breath, as soon as God gave Jesus new and living breath, He gives living breath to you. Now that's the greatest news. The greatest news of all is, yes, I get freed from sin, but I get enabled to fight sin. One more time, let me take you back to the days of the Black Plague. This is a true part of the history of that 300 years before the plague finally reached England. George Vickers was a tailor. He unpacked a shipment from London, and he had ordered some cloth, and it finally came. But as he opened it and he shook it out, he released some plague-infected fleas. Within four days, he was dead, and his village was doomed. The town unselfishly put itself in quarantine to protect the spread of it any further in that region. Other villages dropped off food for the villagers of Eam in the open field and left people to die alone. But to everyone's amazement, not everybody did. As a matter of fact, a year later, when outsiders came to visit the town, they found half of the residents had not been affected by the disease. How? They had touched it. They had breathed it. One mother who survived lost everybody in her family, all six kids and her husband, within a week. Yet she lived. The town's gravedigger buried hundreds of people, touched hundreds of corpses, filled, racked with the disease, yet he didn't die. How? The answer they found later through science was DNA. Their DNA actually had changed. In layman's terms, over time, in resistance to the bubonic plague, DNA had been. Birthed, been given, had changed, had morphed into such a way that the white blood cells were protected from being attacked by the black plague disease. In as simplest terms as possible, over a period of generations, a lineage developed that could not be killed by the plague. The moral of the story was to choose your parents wisely. <laughs> now, you all know that's impossible in this world. Well, not really. You can't choose your parents wisely, but you can choose your father wisely. Amen? We can choose our father wisely. I can change my family tree, beginning with Adam, to what Paul calls the new Adam, Jesus Christ, through whom God is recreating the world, through whom God is rescuing the world from itself. And when you do, His residence becomes your resistance. His residence becomes your resistance. Sin doesn't have to take you over anymore like it did. It may entice you, but you don't have to live as its slave any longer. It may touch you and discourage you and distract you and on occasion damage you. But listen to me, it no longer condemns you and it no longer defines you. Christ in you defines you. You're in him and he is in you. And Romans 8 says because of that, there is no condemnation. For those in Christ Jesus. The first three weeks I had the privilege of speaking to you. I pointed you to life. I encouraged you. Here's a way that the Bible outlines. For those of us who are walking in Christ. To live. But unless you choose Christ. Those three sermons really don't matter much. Unless you choose to put your faith and trust in Christ they're really not going to be very helpful to you because you don't have Christ in you helping you do it. And so this morning, probably for the last time in a while, you'll hear me ask this question one more time. Will you please get a life? Get a life. If you've not said yes to Jesus Christ, can I encourage you, please, like that Philippian jailer, ask the question, what do I have to do to be saved? And hear Peter's response. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of you, and you will be saved. Sins infection in your life will be broken and he can come in and take residence. And I promise you, once he has your resistance to sin changes forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven. There are some things in this world. That we're willing to endure. That we're willing to. To be frustrated by, sometimes hurt by, for what it gets us. And so those of us who are Jesus believers today, we say to you, All right, we'll take up a cross. For ourselves and for others. We'll deny ourselves at times so that others might be loved and receive life. We will be patient when what we want to do is just lose it. We'll forgive when we should and want to, it seems. Take revenge. We'll swallow that, God, because what you're promising here is everything. It's everything. But, Father, I know that you've brought some people to this place today who have not yet taken Christ's hands and have not yet made him your Savior. Would you help them, like the Philippian jailer, not even let the sun rise on another day before they were baptized in the Christ? Father, we thank you so very much that you have run to us That you have come into this world in full force, in full person. And taking the full brunt of our sin upon you. And so, Father, together we proclaim. We accept. This gospel story is our story. Let let us live it out. Let Let us enjoy it out. Let us even sometimes, Father, speak it out. In those right moments when you've formed and shaped relationships where we can tell others what incredible joy you've brought to us. Father, thank you so very much for coming and offering us a cure when we couldn't couldn't help ourselves. Help us to do the same for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mentioned the Philippian jailer in my prayer. Because what was amazing is that night when he asked that question, "What, what do I need to do to be saved? Peter says to him believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and your whole household will be saved. He didn't let the sun come up. They went that very night and were baptized into Christ saying, I don't don't want to not live one more day. It's one of the reasons why we always keep some water ready for someone just in case they're ready to say, "All right, I'm tired of dying. I'm tired of trying to make my own kingdom. I choose to follow Christ today. I choose to make Him my Lord. I choose to let Him rescue me. I'm going to be right down front. And if that fits you, Please come find me and we'll baptize you right now into Christ and see you walk out of here healed. But we're going to have elders at the back. And if this lesson has hit some of you in the heart saying, I have fallen back into an obsession. I said yes to sin once and now I need freedom to help break free from that. Well, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin if we come before those who are in our family and confess those sins. He's faithful to do that. So would you give us a chance to see you walk out of here healthy and free? Let's stand and sing this song. Is it really your story? If it's not, then come see us.